to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We are in the story, and so for the last year we've been reading through the scripture uh, from Genesis to Revelation. If you haven't started, you could start now. Just jump in with us. There's an app. Uh, the Magaday app, and you can see where we're reading. We're almost two-thirds way through the Scripture, getting ready to start the New Testament next month. But today I want to hit a little book that shows up in the middle of the prophets, and it's the book of Lamentations. So go ahead and turn there, or open your app, or whatever it is you do, to get your Bible open. It's so fun to come back and preach about lamenting. So I'm very excited. Uh, Jeremiah was this prophet, and he had preached to the people of Israel about repentance. And they had gone from being enslaved to free to given the prestige and promise. And then they turned their backs on God at sort of the pinnacle of their existence. And Jeremiah's job was a prophetic job to, to turn the hearts of the people back to God. To remember, remind them about the covenant, the promise that they entered into with God. It's not a fun job to be a prophet. People don't want to hear from. And yet throughout the life of Jeremiah, he comes to see the fulfillment of God's discipline and punishment for sin happen to the people of God. The Babylon comes in and they uh, sack the city of Jerusalem and they take Judah into exile. And, and, and this book, these five chapters of this book are really a poem about what it is to suffer and what it is to grieve and be honest with our humanity in a broken world where there is a lot of sin in the world and in us. And so the way the book works, there's these five chapters, and each chapter is a poem that starts, every verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so essentially it goes verse 1a, verse 2b, verse c, 3c, and on and on. And in all, the first four chapters do that, the fifth chapter doesn't, it's sort of a chaotic organization to kind of show the chaos of the people and the situation. The first lament is a lament for sin. Watching Jerusalem get get sacked, seeing the people of God taken into exile, he just writes this huge lament. And the second one in chapter 2 is a lament that the days that he can look back on are no more. There's no more temple to worship God in. There are no more homes or palaces There's no more leaders, there's no more kings, there's no more dignity. Then he moves from there to the third lament, which is a lament for mercy for the one who suffers. And that's the one we'll look at today. In the fourth lament, it's this lament for failure of leadership. He laments about the fact that the prophets don't speak for God, that the priests have abused their office and their power, and the kings have become cowards, and they have all failed God's people. And the fifth lament is a prayer for renewal. 
And so as we walk through this passage today, the truth is there are lots of causes for suffering. Uh, For Israel, it was their sin, and God had spoken to them all the way back in Deuteronomy and said, if you go this way, this is what will happen Anything that we experience in life when it reveals suffering can almost always be traced back to sin. Not personal, perhaps, but just the fact that sin has entered the world and it's broken the world. And so there are natural disasters and famines and earthquakes. That there is broken governments, broken political structures and systems. There is sinful leadership and people of power. There are societal sins like racism and sexism. There are personal sins where I did this, where someone personally abuses or victimizes you, or you abuse another. Whatever it is, there is all these causes of sin still bring us back to this place where it's still sin somewhere in the camp, in the system, in the world, in the suffering, whether it's personal, national, or global. And suffering does something to us. Suffering sort of pulls back the curtain on our humanity and reveals who we are, honestly, in our life. It reveals the frailty of humanity, that it's not very difficult to make us suffer. It reveals the vulnerability to humanity, that, that, that we are vulnerable people. If you remember a few months ago when we couldn't drink water out of the tap because someone took a leak in Mount Tabor Reservoir. Does anybody remember this? Or you just drank it? <laughs> and you're still here to tell about it. Wow. Um, but, but I just remember this sort of like everybody's paralyzed. Like, what? We can't drink the water, and so you run to the store and, and you realize there's no water there either because everybody else is taking the water and we're like panicking. And of course we could boil the water and drink it, but we're Americans, I mean, we're not gonna do that. So we find ourselves just going, like something as simple as tomorrow, we don't have access to clean water and our whole world gets spun out. That our humanity is very vulnerable, even though as long as the systems work, as long as uh, uh, comforts and everything are there, we're sort of ignorant of them, and we believe we're not frail or fragile or vulnerable. Suffering reveals the wickedness of humanity. As we read the news this week and we see people being persecuted, beheaded, like there is a wickedness and evil in this world and in humanity and in me and in you. And there's also a beauty in humanity that suffering reveals. The people who would stand up for those without a voice, people who would risk themselves to bring healing and care to those who suffer from Ebola. There is a humanity that needs God. And suffering reveals our desperation and our dependency on a God who is outside this broken, sinful system who can be our anchor and our hope. And so the idea here is that this book is given to us. 
that right smack dab in the middle of the Bible is a book called Lamentations. And it's a book that shows us that God gives us permission to honestly engage our suffering. To honestly engage our suffering before him and with him. And to let that suffering help us understand ourselves and our God and our world. And to absolutely shape us and change us. There is... A song that that, Kat, that uh, REM did called Shiny Happy People it was back in the late 1900s, so you probably don't remember it. Um, but it's this idea that for some reason, the church doesn't deal well with suffering. Like we mask, we feel like we have to cover it up, like we have to be those shiny happy people. Which is sort of contradictory when you think about it. we come every week to bread and wine about a God who suffered and died. The Bible is so honest about the human condition and the world that we live in, and yet we sort of fake it. And Lamentations says to us, with all boldness, stop. Stop faking it. There is a place for pain in the community of God's people. There's a place for pain in your life. And there's a way to deal with that suffering that brings life through it. So turn with me to chapter 3 of Lamentations and let's, let's walk through kind of how Jeremiah processes the suffering that he's going through and the suffering of his people. Start in verse 1. He says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardships. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone, and he's made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow, and he made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became a laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is, so I say my splendor is gone. All that I hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. That is a bad day. One of the things that that the Hebrew kind of literature genres, uh, the way they would point to what the the main text, the main point of a poem or a book would, is that they would would use either like a chiasm or they'd find a way to signal this is the point. So in chapter 3, you don't have 22 verses, you have 66. 
And what they would do is he'd still stayed with this ABC kind of way of doing the poem, but he did three A's and then three B's and then three C's, so it's three times as long. And what he's doing there is for the reader, who didn't have verses and all this, to go, this is the, this is the main point that informs how we are to interpret the rest of the poem. And so here he is, and he starts with the complaint and the cry. That he, he, in this downcast soul, begins to be honest before God, brutally honest, really. This is not Jeremiah, the prophet, who is, you know, one of the high leaders of, of Israel. He is, he is crying out. He's, he's experienced all of this pain from Babylon, but he points it to God and he says, you, you did this to me. You drew the bow. You pulled me out and mangled me. You did this to me. It's a complaint that a world full of American evangelical shiny happy people would never let fall from their lips. And yet right here in the middle of scripture, God says, yeah, that poem, put that in my word. Because that is true. See, when we're in the midst of suffering, lamentations is an invitation to us to be able to say, God can handle your honesty. God can handle your cry. God, to be human, is to feel and to have emotion and to be able to cry out. Some of us treat God like he's too pristine. He's sort of trapped behind this crystal glass or somewhere safe, and we need to protect him from the raw emotions of being human. And God says, That's, that is such a lie. It's okay to feel. It, you need to be able to voice your cry. Your soul, your humanity requires that you speak on behalf of yourself and your feelings, that you would advocate for your pain. And what happens when we don't, when we, we become those shiny, happy people? We, we take all these feelings and emotions that, that are real. You can't not have them when you suffer, but we just stuff them, right? We stuff them. We stuff them down deep somewhere in our life, and they keep popping back up. But, it, but because we're, we're not allowed to say them, then what happens is they pop up in really weird ways. So for some people, this path through suffering to transformation with God takes this off-ramp where we stuff our cry and we end up in this cul-de-sac of cynicism. And now the pain and the suffering just kind of starts to create this dull, callous layer over our heart. We don't, we don't suffer by faith. We look at the whole of the Bible, the whole of the human experience, and just think, well, it's just kind of a joke, and our hearts get hard, and we don't pray, and we don't love, we don't cry out. We just kind of go, ah, that's where we are. And what happens, and here's where the lie comes in, you think that you're not voicing your pain and your cry as being a good Christian. But the reality is, not only are you not being a good Christian, you're becoming less human. 
You're not feeling what's there. You're not engaging honestly with the suffering that you're in the middle of. You're checking out. And you're becoming less than God intended for you. The invitation is to to give voice to that cry. To allow yourself to speak it and to feel it and to complain. I mean, he straight up is telling God, you did this to me. You could make a case that God didn't do any of it. The Babylonians did. There is a place for pain in this community. You should never be ashamed to be in a hard spot and to be able to voice it. When people say, hey, how are you doing? What do we all say? Great. Mostly because we don't want to talk to you that long. <laughs> right? We're like, great, go on. But it's okay to say, man, I'm in a tough space. I need you to pray for me. We're supposed to be able to embrace each other and bear one another's burdens. There's place for pain in the community. Not to be stuffed, not to become cynical, but to be honest about our humanity, to be as real as we can before the real God. And then then it takes a turn here in verse 21. We're in the midst of his cry. He he remembers and he says in verse 21, "Yet, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Hope. Hope is really an elusive thing. And I think for most of us, when we're in the midst of suffering or pain or someplace tough, what we hope for is that that the situation changes. And so it's like, yeah, I can live with hope, but I'm, I'm really just hoping that this stops or that everything gets better. And, and that's a natural thing to do. But there is a hope that's deeper and more transformative. And that's a hope in a God beyond the situation. Because some of us will find our place, selves in places that aren't going to change. Uh, a, a disability a physical situation, whatever it might be. And if your only hope is that the thing gets fixed or remedied or goes away, then, you're, then hope is going to be elusive. It's never quite going to be tangible enough for you to bank your life on. But what Jeremiah does in a situation that as far as he knows is not going to change He puts his hope in the person and character of God. He finds God who is above and beyond the circumstances. And he says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. And and so what does he call to mind? Well, he calls to mind the Lord's great love for him. That despite my circumstances, what names me ultimately is that the Lord has a great love for me. That his compassions are new every morning. I love that he uses the word compassion, but it's plural. Compassions. That there could be a multitude of pain, a multitude of suffering, a multitude of sins, but God has compassion for each circumstance, for each moment, for each setting 
And they're new every morning, so you're never going to run out of them. When you find yourself in a place of need today, know that God has the compassion and the mercy for you in that moment. And tomorrow when you wake up, he has a whole new set of them for you. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful grace. My wife is, um, she, she wakes up every morning and she's happy, which is weird to me because I'm not a happy person in the morning. And it doesn't matter what we went through the day before or even the season that we've been, she, she'll wake up, she'll be like, hi, and she's ready to go. And, and, and really after 25 years of marriage, it is, it is God's grace to me to go, that, yeah, that's what it looks like. That God's mercy every morning is saying, it's new. There's plenty of mercy to go around. I'm ready to welcome you into this day because there's hope for today. And that's what Jeremiah is encountering. And then he finds hope because God, he says, great is his faithfulness. That he has promised to be with us. That he is the one who is the one who is going to be faithful to be with us in this place. And so right here, what he does is he goes through his cry, and then he calls to mind, and he remembers. This is who God is, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness. And in that midst, he can have hope because he realizes, I am not alone. And that's true for you today. Like wherever you're at, you are not alone today. God is with you. And so would you dare to let the real you in all your honesty stand face to face with the real God in all of his love, faithfulness, and mercy? Would you dare in that moment to let yourself have hope? Because the God who is this is way beyond your circumstances. And he's for you. Verse 24, he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust, there may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off forever. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. There is something else about suffering that the the writer here finds out, and that it's, there's a place where we come to rest in it, where we quit fighting it, where we recognize that in our humanity, I can't fix it, I can't make it go away, that, that it's revealed my own weakness in me. And so what I've decided to do, he says, the Lord's my portion, and so I'll wait for him. It's the sitting, the stopping, the silence of that place of suffering. 
The not knowing what's going to happen next, just being aware of the now. It's calm. There's like a calm inside the storm. Like a tornado has this, the eye of the hurricane or the eye of the storm. It's calm there, even though all hell is breaking loose around you. There's this place where you're calm. That's the place that he's in right now. He's waiting he looks around him, and every time it's just chaos. There is a, there is a, you know, this tornado has got everything wrapped up in it. But right here, that is surrounding me, I'm, I'm at peace. It's a place where we quietly surrender to God, to His love, to His plan, to His power. It, it, it's being able to say, God, this isn't mine anymore. I can't do anything. So I'm surrendering to your plan. I'm going to wait for you to come and do whatever you need to do in these circumstances. It's surrendering to his power that recognizes, God, it's good for me to be here. Somehow, some way, you allow this to happen. And so I'm here. I'm surrendering to the fact that it's only you who can change any of this. I'm going to wait for your power. It's surrendering to his love. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And so sorrow, suffering, is, she's, she's this quiet partner. And she never speaks, but you sit with her. And as you sit with her long enough, even the silence, she makes us wise. She teaches us things. She transforms us. There's no way to go around it. You have to go through it. And in going through it, we wait. We wait. And something happens to Jeremiah in this place of waiting where he accepts, accepts where he's at from God. Look at verse 33, and then we'll skip to 37. It says, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Verse 37 Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? There there is something that we're all called to learn on this journey. It's something that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to get out without learning it. And it's this. It's that no matter where you're at, Maybe you're in a really good spot, maybe you're not. But God is your only hope. You're not going to get away from needing to learn that lesson. That what is formed through Genesis to Revelation are people who are learning that their humanity only has one hope, and that is God. And that you would trust him to act on your behalf. The truth is we are not very attentive to God. Like when things are going good, you're just like, great, God's on the throne and I got a great job and life's going well. And we're tempted at that point to think that something about our spiritual lives has manipulated God into making sure everything's good. So rather than, rather than having this loving sort of devotion, you start to think, well, I better keep going to church and I better keep reading my Bible, otherwise... Like the happy train's gonna stop. And the reality is that the inattentiveness that can come when life's good actually can tempt us to go down a very bad road. 
But suffering, man, when we suffer, we are all ears. It's like God just grows our ears. We can hear. We're ready. We're ready to listen. That this pain wakes us up to that frailty, to that dependence, and to our desperation, and even to the experience that, yes, God is here with us. So it's this place of accepting that God is with you. We can only learn certain things through suffering. And God's love is so dangerous, so wild, so sort of untamed, that he's willing to let us learn him for our benefit so that we can love him more. It's this place of acceptance where he says, who can speak and have it happen if the Lord is not decreed it? That somehow, even though sin is running rampant and we have free will, that God in his sovereignty, whether he causes or allows or all the mysteries, it still is contained within the sovereignty of his eternal purposes. And how that all works, I don't know. But you can fight it, you can question it, or you can surrender to it and accept it with trust and hope. And that moves Jeremiah to a place of examination. Look at verse 40. He says, let, exa- let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven. It's a place where all this reflection happens when you're suffering. Like you stop and you're like, what happened? Why am I here? Where did I go wrong? Like what's going on? And that reflection causes this pause in life, like a timeout, to sit and to stop while we wait for God, while we remember God, while we cry out to God. And and it's here that there's this sense of the powerlessness of my own humanity to stop the suffering. Makes me, uh, invites me to take inventory of my life. Like, yeah, maybe you're in a place where you're suffering because you did stupid stuff and you sinned against God and you you gotta bear the consequence of that. But others of you are in a place of suffering. It's not necessarily something you did. But suffering, regardless of why you're in it, sort of makes us acutely aware of our own self-examination. Like, God, test me. See what's in me. He says, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. It may not be a personal sin who's brought us here, but it's still this wake-up call that says, man, this is in me. And I am prone to wander. I'm prone to walk away from God. I'm prone to go cynical. I'm prone not to hope. And so, God, you got me here, and you're shaping me here, and I want to wait for you, and I want to accept this place, and yet I'm asking you to examine me because I don't want to waste my pain. I want you to test what's in me. Suffering has this sort of purifying work in our souls where it tests the metal that we're made of. It brings up all the bad dross and dirt and stuff to the top. And then we stand there with it. And Jesus invites you to lay it before him so that he can forgive it and purify you 
and change it. So he walks through this process, and I hope you see it in here, that, that he cries out in his lament, that he remembers by faith this is who God is and banks his hope on him. And then he sits and he waits in that moment of surrender, accepting it from God's hand and letting God examine his life. And there's a a type of courage that, that shows up in Jeremiah at this point where he begins to cry out to God again, and this time in prayer that he would come and rescue him. Let's just start in verse 60. Yeah, 60. He wraps up this section, this poem this way. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. What my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them, sitting or standing, they mock me in their songs. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Amen? Right? We're like, eh? And and the reason we feel awkward about that prayer is because you would never pray it out loud. Because God can't handle that kind of language. He's like, gosh, Jeremiah, chill out. No, God said, yeah, that's a good one. Put it in the book. You're like, what? Yeah, he did. See, because what you have here is not an American evangelical who is afraid to be fully human, but you have God's man who embraces all of his humanity, even his anger and his desire for vengeance. He embraces all of his suffering. He is honest before God in his complaint. He's honest before God in believing in God. He's waiting and accepting and examining. He is all in, and he ends by saying, kick their butt and save me. And that's good. Because you and I come to this story in the back of the book where Jesus has come and he's been the one that allowed himself to get destroyed so that you could be saved. To allow himself to get broken and mocked and beaten and scoffed and crucified so that you wouldn't have to go through the judgment that Israel did. Now you are free in your suffering, to pour out your lament to God and hope in his faithful love to meet you in the midst of it. I want us to be an honest congregation. Not honest in a sort of postmodern, cynical, you know, I'm so authentic sort of way. But honest in a way that says, yeah, I'm going to be real about my life and where I'm at, but I'm also going to be real about who God is. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to trust him that he is full of love and faithfulness and mercy and compassion. I'm going to hope in him. Even though I'm in the midst of this pit, I believe he's bigger than my circumstances. And we need each other to carry us and meet us in this place. One of the areas that I probably have lost the most hope, I think, over time is, is with my daughter who 
uh, suffers uh, a mental disability. And part of that is there's just a lot of anxiety. All the time, her anxiety is real high. And I've seen God do such like amazing things in our life. But when it comes to her and her situation, it just feels like, man, it's just wall after wall after wall. We don't seem to know how to make it through. And so we have this dog, Taz, who was 12 years old. And, you know, he's the family dog. We've had him since they were little. And he gets old and we have to put him down this summer. You know, it's like old yeller. It's the worst experience ever. And, um, but I put it off too long because I'm just trying to protect her from the pain of this. I know six months from now we'll still be crying at night, you know, and, and finally it's like, well, he's 130 pounds. I don't want to carry him down the stairs. (laughs) And so we have to put him down. And that night, you know, it wrecks the house if you've ever had to do that. Just everyone's a mess. And she comes up from the basement. She's bawling uncontrollably. And I'm like, here we go. And then she says, Dad, I feel God hugging me. And I, it feels so good. And she's just crying uncontrollably. But they're not tears of anxiety. They're tears like I'm loved. And then she says, I feel bad because I told God I was so mad at him. And I was like, he's good with you. You're forgiven. And so here's this place that I am like, I've given up hope a long time ago. That God shows up and by his spirit meets her in a way that only she could really experience. That she needed to experience. And then the whole month of August, like there's four or five different times where it'll start again. And she'll start crying. She's like, God's hugging me. And I'm just like, Whoa. And it just slaps me in the face, right? Because I'm the... Guy that's like, there's no hope here. If I'd known that would happen, I'd have put the dog to sleep years ago. <laughs> no, stop, PETA people, don't come after me. I would not have done that. But, but here it is, me trying to control the suffering, me in the middle trying to be God, and then you surrender to it. And then God shows up and takes her suffering from her. And I just want to, I just share that because, man, we're in this together. And there is a place for pain in our community. What I love about my daughter is that she has no problem articulating her complaint. She's more honest than anybody in this church. So much so that you're like, yeah, that's good. But then you come to a place where I just said, God, you got to talk to God. You complain to God. He can handle it. I can't fix it. But what does it look like to be a people who come in week in and week out to a God who not only invites us and gives us permission to be fully human in our suffering, but a God who became fully human and took our suffering. Not a God who walked around suffering, but he became the very object of suffering, bore the wrath of God so you and I could be free. We, of all people, sons and daughters, should be able to say the words, no matter what our circumstance, words the Father loves to hear, I trust you, I trust you, with my life in this place. Let's pray. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this morning we invite you to be all that you are to us. To pull back the curtain on your great mercy and unfailing love, your great faithfulness. And that we would be a people, God, today who would be honest with you about our pain and we would do that in faith, believing that you're with us. And would you take our, our hard seasons, moments, circumstances, and God, would you form us into a people who, who bear the image of your son, who took our sin and our suffering and conquered the grave. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with Himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com.